Welcome you to South Lansing Christian Church again. My name is Walter, and I'm the teaching and small groups minister here. And we have put away the tools for the summer, and we are starting a new series all about the effects of sin in our world. So this is a little bit of a, uh, a tone shift here, but I think it's important an important discussion for us to have. We live in a world of, of consequences, of action and reaction. When you drop a ball, physicists tell us, you drop a tennis ball, it falls down and it hits the ground, transferring some of its energy into the ground and then bounces back up into our hands. Similarly, it's the same way for our, our relationships with one another. Many of our actions most definitely have reactions, consequences. Anyone who is married can tell you this. A, an unintentionally sharp comment to your spouse early in the morning, that can kind of derail your whole day, right? Anybody who's been online can tell you this. It is amazing how some seemingly innocent comments on a forum somewhere, Reddit, Facebook, somewhere else, can turn into a huge blow-up. And this doesn't really matter what the, the conversation is about. It can be ministers discussing theology. It can be gamers discussing Zelda, the best game of all time, and which one that is. Wind Waker, obviously. I'll fight you over that one. It can, be, uh, it can be talking about tractors on greentractortalk.com. You would not believe the discussions on there. We just show up to talk about tractors, and then suddenly we're fighting each other. Our world is one of action and reaction. But why is that? Why is that? Why is it that we so often seem to have to walk on eggshells around one another? Why is it that one misplaced word or, or poorly thought out action can lead to relational blowback? Well, followers of Jesus know that ever since the Garden of Eden, we have been living under the effects of the curse as a result of sin, and that ever since the time of Adam and Eve, we've lived in a world of brokenness with distorted human relationships and a disconnection from our God and a broken connection to even our, our world, the created order. And so we live in a, fall, a world of fallout. That's what we're talking about for the next few weeks. And because of that, God has had to very clearly define the boundaries inside of which his family must live. He's transmitted those boundaries to his people in the form of, of laws in the Old Testament and in the form of instructions in the New Testament. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to be discussing one very specific set of those laws, one that's probably familiar to you, known as the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. They're found in Exodus chapter 20. Now, Exodus chapter 20, most of us have, have at least heard of the Ten Commandments. You might have heard about them from Wally. He's, got a, he's kind of a fan of this guy, Charlton Heston. Charleston? I don't even know the guy's name. I'm sorry. But this is, uh, this is something you might have seen at church once or twice. Ten Commandments are referenced in popular culture. They're chiseled into famous architecture. When I was growing up, my church, in addition to having 90-minute church services in the morning and hour services at night on Sunday evening, we, we also read the Ten Commandments every single Sunday. And so many of us can rattle these things off. We know these have no other gods before me. Don't make idols. Don't misuse God's name. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't covet. These are things we know. We understand them to be laws that God has given his people. But again, why? Have you ever thought about why? Why is it that these specific words, these ten, stand out in human attention and consciousness? Why, why is it that these specific laws, these ten, have been, uh, been 
inscribed in, in human legal systems and have been discussed in the church throughout history. Well, that question, and a few more, is, is what this whole series is, is all about. And it's a question we're going to talk about today as we dive into the first three commandments, starting in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. So join me there. Exodus 20, verse 1 says this, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, from the place of your slavery. I'm going to pause right there. So God in his grace, by his grace, rescued these people caught in the land of Egypt in a hopeless situation. And God had easily overcome a contest of power between his might and the the supposed might of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and also all the the Egyptian deities. And this culminated in, uh, in the parting of the Red Sea, the Israelites walking through it on dry ground, and Pharaoh and his army being destroyed. And there's something, this is a little bit of an aside, but there's an assumption that I think sometimes pervades Christian circles that God in the Old Testament, as he's revealed, is somehow different than God in the New Testament. That God in the Old Testament is judgmental and wrathful and has all these rules, but God in the New Testament is love and and peace and and joy and all this. And so we read into the text a, a difference when I, I'm not so sure there really is that much of a difference. And in fact, we'll say things like, well, grace is in the New Testament, but where do you find grace in the Old Testament? I'll tell you where you find grace. You find grace right here in Exodus, as God leads out a people who through no ability of their own, no merit of their own, are brought out of the land of Egypt by God's power because he chose them. Grace unmerited favor, God chose to then stick with this people because of his covenant, even when they continually rebelled against it, broke it all the way through to the time of Jesus. Grace is all over the Old Testament. We just fail to see it. Now, two months after the events of Moses and Pharaoh and all of that, the Israelites have journeyed to the the land of Sinai, the wilderness there, and And there they assemble at Mount Sinai, and it's there that God speaks. And in a few weeks, we'll we'll read the people's reaction to God's speaking. That's found also in Exodus 20, but it's terrifying. And they are frightened out of their minds because the creator of the universe has spoken. And their reaction is, is, is fear. But in the beginning here, as God speaks, he reminds them that he is the one who brought them out of Egypt. He is the one who shall be their God. Verse 3, you must not have any other God but me. All right. Commandment number one. Sounds simple. It's fairly short. Should be easy enough for us to keep, right? 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 When I read this, I think of the, the ancient peoples and their pantheons of gods. I think of uh, the Greek gods, you know, Zeus, Hera, and, uh, Hades, and Hercules. These are, are, are false gods, but they're also, when I, came, when I was in middle school, Disney came out with this, this film, uh, Hercules. And, and so I think of these guys, they're, they're laughable, colorful, obviously imaginal, imaginary, harmless characters. I, I would, I don't know about you, but I would never think of worshiping those buffoons. And even for the Israelites, as they're heading into the land of Canaan, they've come out of the land of Egypt with its 
pantheon of gods, and they're heading into Canaan, and uh, there's the worship of Baal and, and Molech, and there's worship at Ashrapoles. Even those have, have no sway over me. I, I look at those and think I would never be tempted to worship any of those. And so you're probably the same way. It's easy for us to see this command, have no other gods before me, as a command that, that applied to the Israelites, but maybe for you and me, man, we're beyond this. We're, we're more advanced. We see the world more clearly. We don't ascribe a spiritualistic view to every rock and tree and and raindrop. And so let's just check this one off the list and keep on going because this is easy. Or, or, Or is it? Let me ask you this. What is what is the thing that you are giving the most attention to in your life? What is the thing that as you drift off to sleep at night is the last thought on your mind? And when you wake up in the morning is the first thing that comes to your mind. What are you spending your days working toward? Is it, is it I don't know, your, your lake house, insert RV, ATV, expensive car, fancy toy, gaming console, bike, gym equipment, something else, something that you've saved up for a long time and you've dreamed about it and thought about it and now you've acquired it and you're spending your time with it and when you're not spending your time with it, you you're thinking about it, thinking about ways to improve it and make it better. It's on your mind. It's in your heart. What are you giving the most attention to? Maybe it's not a thing. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a people. Maybe it's, maybe it's your people, your kids. Maybe you want the best for your kids, and so you're helping give them a leg up on life, and you want to help them achieve the American dream and, you know, get lots of money and a good job and a nice house and cars and just, like, live that perfection. And so in the, in the meantime, you're making sure their life is smooth. You sign them up for all the extracurriculars you can. You help them connect with all the connections and make sure that uh, they are never feeling any unease or discomfort or unhappiness. You do everything for your kids. There's some things to admire about that, but all, at the same time, I think for some of us, our kids can be the thing that is most important in our lives, that we're giving the most attention to, and, and that's at the expense of our other relationships, our, our marriage, our other family, our friendships, even our, our faith. I don't know. It could be something else. It could be your online persona. You spend a lot of time online, social media, and in those conversations. It could be gaming. I still stand by that Zelda comment, Wind Waker is the best, but I also... I also know that this, these kinds of things can take over our lives. And so we lose sleep and we spend a lot of time in, in this stuff and we look for the next thing to come out and we spend our money and our time and our attention on these kinds of things. What are you giving the most attention to in your life? I think that what we're giving the most attention to says a whole lot about just what we're treating as God. And that if you and I are honest with ourselves, I think we can see it's a lot more difficult for us to live up to even commandment number one here than we want to admit. And it's not just us. It's been God's people throughout history. I think it's helpful to be reminded of where this all started. And so if you'll flip back with me to to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 holds the account of humans making a a terrible decision. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals, the Lord God had made, and one day he asked the woman, in my best, reading my kids a story, serpent voice, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. 
God said, you must not touch it. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her and so she took some of the fruit and ate it and then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And that line in verse 6, the woman was convinced. Adam and Eve were, were unconvinced that God's way was best. They were unconvinced that God had their best interests at heart. They, they were unconvinced of the value of following God's standard. His one rule, one rule, guys. And because they were unconvinced, they chose to take and, and eat this fruit. And ever since then, humans have been dealing with the fallout of, of this decision. Because Adam and Eve didn't trust God, they moved him out of his rightful place and they set up another God, a God that would answer to them and instead of them answering to God. And, and so ever since the Garden of Eden, we've been usurping God's authority, rejecting his rightful place. And because of that, we wander into all sorts of messes. And because of that, we have all this relational conflict with each other and with God and with creation. And because of that, we're constantly drawn into sin. And because of that, God has had to define these boundaries inside of which his people must live. We are to have no other gods, and God's people are also to follow the other nine commandments. Starting in verse 4, you must not make for yourself, this is Exodus 20, verse 4, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sin of the parents upon their children and the entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So commandment number two. To our ears today, sounds kind of like commandment number one. Commandment number one, have no other gods before me. Commandment two, don't make any idols. To us, these sound similar. What's with the repetition here? And it might seem like that to us today, but... But this commandment speaks to the relationship that God wants to have with his people. God is the only one to be worshipped. God is this personal, relatable deity with whom we can have a relationship. And idols, on the other hand, they're, they're a complete misrepresentation of, of what God even is. They seem maybe harmless to us because we aren't drawn to worship them, but they're cold unrelatable. You cannot have a, a, a relationship with these things. They were a complete misrepresentation. And by creating these idols, these images of supposed deity, humans are again usurping God's authority, deciding for ourselves what's right for us to do and, and what's not. And that's because the only allowable images in creation of God, the only allowable images uh, are us, our human beings. This comes right out of Genesis, the creation account again. Genesis 1, verse 27, says this. 
So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You and I, personal, relatable, relationable human beings, are, are the only acceptable images of, of the personal personal, relatable, relationable God of the entire universe, and he will allow no substitutes, no lesser representations that somehow misconstrue who he is. And, and so it's a sin to have any other gods before God, and it is a sin to worship anything or anyone other than God himself. Verse 7 in Exodus 20, we continue on with the Ten Commandments. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So not only are we to to worship God and God alone, not only are we to not make any false representations of God, but we're also to treat his name as holy, which is just a word that means set apart, holy above all else. And and look, there's a, there's a whole discussion to be had here about the Israelites by the time of Jesus, how seriously they took this commandment. They took this so seriously that they forgot how to say God's name, and in the Old Testament scriptures, they just had some consonants that stood for it, and when they would approach God's name in scripture reading it, they would substitute a whole other word in, as they read, they would say Adonai instead of whatever, you know, Somebody used to know God's name was. And so there's that discussion about how seriously God's people took this commandment back in the times of Jesus and before. And then there's a discussion about how not seriously we take this commandment and how there are many Christians I know who would never utter any any configuration of any four-letter word who are pretty flippant about treating God's name and Uh, and about even using maybe Jesus' name as an intensifier and and thereby making Jesus' name common. The the scriptural term for that is profane. That just means to make it commonplace. And then there's a a, a whole third discussion about how we can misuse God's name by, by attaching God's name to things that we say or things that we do. And, and to say that this thing is God's will or this is God's work when it's obviously a work of human beings or something that we're saying and, and so thereby falsely attaching God's name to whatever we want, that's a way to, to not treat God's name as holy as well. But that's all aside of, the, of what we're talking about this morning. What we're talking about this morning is in the context of these three commandments. Have no other gods before me. Don't make any idols and treat God's name as holy, the, the force of these commands together is, is this. God is transcendent. God is entirely other. He is so far above us that would he have not reached out to, to offer a relationship with us? We couldn't have any comprehension of him. We would have no way of knowing him or understanding even a piece of him. He is sovereign, the omnipotent creator of the entire universe. We sometimes forget this. And it is a sin to devalue God, to mock him, to do any other thing than to treat him as holy and give him the reverence and the respect that he deserves, that he demands. Those are the first three commandments. They stem directly from what God told the Israelites here in Exodus 20, verse 7. 
Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. God demanded his rightful place in the life of his people, the Israelites, and God demands his rightful place in our lives, the lives of the church. We are the church family, God's people today. But the truth is, you and, and me and every other human that has ever lived in history, we just seem to, to constantly have trouble with this. And so the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, is often, uh, often in the face of what we do. We, we fall into this first sin, and I think the first sin for us, the first sin is to reject God. I mean, we do that all the time. Commandments one through three, they might feel outdated or irrelevant They were written to a culture full of false gods where people seemed driven to worship pretty much anything they saw. And you might feel like we're no longer that way. Again, maybe we've advanced is what you think and our worldview is different. And you might feel like the thought of worshiping a statue or created image is is outlandish. And you might even think, I don't struggle with this first sin. I don't reject God. I'm in church for crying out loud. But be honest with yourself. Who's really in charge of your life? Who gets to call the shots? Who gets to decide what's good for you and bad for you? Who decides what's right and wrong? Who sets the priorities and gives you your marching orders? I think that for so many of us, the entity that we've put in charge of our lives, it's it's not God at all. It's It's not anything like God. We're just like Adam and Eve in the garden and and we're worshiping the biggest false God that there is. We're worshiping ourselves. Look, I I get it. It it seems attractive. If, if If I make myself God, it means I can do whatever I want. If you make yourself God, you answer to no one. You get to do your own things, live your own life in your own way. It's kind of the American dream. Freedom. You can reject the definitions of sin. You can insert your own definitions instead. If you make yourself God, you can live in greed. You can live in lust. You can live in envy. You can hate your enemies and hold on to grudges. You can do what you want, when you want, how you want. But this breaks down at some point, and that's where we start to see the fallout of a broken world. Because if you're doing everything that you want and I'm doing everything that I want, eventually those wants are going to come into conflict with one another and eventually your need to acquire more and more and more is going to come up against my need to hold on to what I have and then acquire more for myself and we'll have friction and eventually your need to hold a grudge is going to inflame itself into violence. Eventually my need to to live in envy and, and greed is going to to grow to the point where I take what's not mine. Humans have, have just demonstrated this over and over and over again in the course of human history. You and I are not capable of living our lives in the way that we want without causing harm and pain to those around us. Because of the first sin, as we reject God, our, our Our selfish proclivities just lead us into destruction, not life. Even when 
we think, well, it's okay. I'm not harming anyone or this is in the context of my own home or you know, nobody else is involved. Even then, the things that we do, the sins that we're drawn to have a dramatic effect upon us and upon the world around us. And so it's to these kinds of conflicts that the, the Ten Commandments are written. It's to these kinds of things that God has said, you shall not kill, you shall not covet, you shall not commit adultery. And, and we'll be talking about all of these in a little more detail in the next few weeks. But for now, I think we need to know that all of the commandments seem to stem from this first one. You must not have any other God before me. That's where it all begins. With control, with usurping God's authority, with inserting our plate, ourselves into God's rightful place. And so, as we close out, as we wrap things up this morning, I want to ask you, what, what are you going to do this week? What are you going to do this week to relinquish authority and to give God his rightful place in your life? Are there some things that, that you need to stop doing? Are there ways in which you need to stop putting yourself first or obsessing over what you want or obsessing about whatever everybody else has or where you want to be? Do you need to stop being distracted by the things of this world? Maybe you need to stop ignoring God. Maybe God has been working on your heart for a while. You're feeling the pull of the Holy Spirit, conviction. So maybe that's where you are. Maybe, maybe you need to stop ignoring and, and actually pay attention to what God is saying to you. Maybe you need to stop doing some things. Maybe you need to start doing some things. Maybe you need daily reminders that you are not, in fact, God. And so instead of drifting off to sleep, thinking about your favorite whatever, drift off to sleep as you pray a prayer of thanks to God. Wake up in the morning and let your first thought be, a prayer of thanksgiving to our Father and and asking for his blessing upon your day. Maybe you need to form some habits of reminder throughout your day that help you center yourself. And maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just adopting a posture of humility, a posture that recognizes that it's not all about me and it's not all about you either. And as we choose humility, we we choose to submit ourselves to the will of God. I I don't know what it is for you. I I know that no matter what, there is hope. And there's hope specifically because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus offered himself for you and for me before we had ever taken that step to, to respond to grace. And so if you've been wrestling with sin, been feeling conviction, know that there is hope. There's, there's a greater life out there. There's the renewal, regeneration of the Holy Spirit in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. And you know, if the first sin is to reject God, then I think the first step into that new life is to submit yourself to Jesus Christ, to make him the Lord of your life, and to be obedient in baptism. If that's you today, if, if you're there, I want to have that conversation. I'll be back in the back of the room at the end of service, and I'd love to talk about what God's laying on your heart. And we would love to to see you baptized into new life today. Brothers and sisters, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we come to you, and God, we confess that 
that we really bad about doing our own thing in our own way. God, we, we confess the sin of trying to take over control of our lives and to worship the created thing rather than the creator himself. Father, I just pray that as we go about our week that, that you would remind us, that you would remind us of your words here in Exodus 20, that you would remind us of the situation, the, the dawn of creation, the Garden of Eden, that you would help us to be people who seek you and your will above all else. Holy Spirit, empower us to live lives where we focus on you. Jesus Christ, we are so thankful for your sacrifice. We're thankful that because of you, we can be right with God, even when we screw up. Father God, we're so thankful for grace. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. At this point in our service, we respond to God. And the way that we do that here at South is we respond in worship, and we worship by singing songs. We'll worship in a little bit by giving back to God, and we worship as we share the Lord's Supper together. This is a meal that Christians have been doing for generations, reminding ourselves of Jesus' sacrifice and of the resurrection, and the resurrection that we will also experience. And so if you're somebody who who's a follower of Jesus, if you've been baptized in his name, we invite you to join us at the table. And if you're not yet, man, I want to have that conversation and talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. Church, would you stand and join us in worship?